0: What happens when I, episode number seven, what happens when I go into isolation and silence? Well then, let's have a go at inquiring into this. What happens when I go into isolation and silence? Well, like most answers to questions, it depends on the circumstances. And there's one circumstance where it's very clear what happens. And that is on a meditation retreat. Because on a meditation retreat, you're really going into isolation and silence on purpose in a clear, methodic kind of way. And you've prepared yourself for it. You understand what's happening. You know what's going on. And then you're there specifically for that reason. You're there to be in isolation and silence. And when I do a meditation retreat, there is something that happens. There's a sort of sequence of unfoldings that occurs each time I do a meditation retreat. And it's quite strange, it's quite mysterious. I remember what it's like to go into isolation and silence. I remember that There are things in my inner world which are personal and private, which I have forgotten about. And when I go into isolation and silence, I remember those things. I rediscover those things. And then there's also the more general kind of mood, which is that I tilt my head down a little bit, my face sort of closes, it's sort of relaxed in a closed sort of way, like my eyebrows go down and I keep my eyes down and my, my lips relax and I sort of have a different sort of posture and I walk slower and I put sometimes I put my hands behind my back when I'm walking. It's like the meditator's walk, I guess you could call it. And it's the meditator's face, you could say. Pulling the face. Oh yes, we're going into silence time to be very serious and do, yes, very quiet meditation. I've definitely got a bit of that in me. And it comes across in how I move around. But then more privately, there's a process which is... Of first, really just telling myself to be quiet. I really have to tell myself a few times. I really have to ingrain it into myself. Like, don't talk, don't interact with others, concentrate on the task at hand. You're here for a meditation retreat. And once I've done that for some time, well, then I settle in and then I really start to open to my inner world. And from there, well, that's the that's the beginning of the trip. When I go into isolation and silence, where well, I start to trip. I start to have adventures. I start to have things happen in the inner world. And, well, that's a long journey, depending on how long the meditation retreat is, say if it's a 10 days course, 10 days of silence, then well, within that, there's going to be, there's going to be pain, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be regrets coming up, there's going to be confusion, there's going to be a huge string of insights Sometimes multiple insights just strung all together, just toppling over one after the other, realizations, paradigm shifts. And I also find at a certain point that I tap into my creativity and I get in touch again with the enthusiasm for making something. And it's sort of this happy feeling of, oh yes, wouldn't it be great to do this? Oh yes, this is a great idea. Well, that's a good answer to the question. When I go into isolation and silence, my creative ideas feel like good ideas. Really good ideas. And I really explore all these different angles of the idea, like what about this or how could it work in this way? How would I make it happen? And I notice how different being in silence is to my normal life, or my non-meditation retreat life. And I remember how important it is to meditate. That's a big insight. It's an easy one to overlook. That's an important thing to remember and very easy to not see how significant that is to remember the importance of meditation. That's almost like a meta-insight which comes from rediscovering all the insights that I had before. So a meditation retreat, I mean, that's just one scenario of when I go into isolation and silence. And in a way, it doesn't matter so much about where I am, whether I'm on a meditation retreat somewhere else or around the world, or if I'm at home, there's something the same, there's something always the same about going into silence. And the circumstances do have different strengths and Different, I want to say, abilities or... They, they, they foster the meditative practice in different ways. They allow for different depths. They allow for different processes. Depending on where you are. So each, each location allows for a different experience. Somehow, even though contradictory, there is something that's the same. That's always the same when turning in. When I go into silence, I remember the complexity of the inner world. As well as the subtlety. And also the power of it and how the power of those higher things those higher realizations make petty things insignificant and unimportant unimportant it makes me it makes me it makes things easier for me to let go of the things i don't need it makes things easier for me to Stop doing the things that aren't doing me any good. And when I really go deep, it becomes existential. It becomes about my place in reality. It becomes about my place in the world. And I wonder why it is. Why is there a sense of time? Like, why does it take time to dig into the inner world? Why is it there? Why is there a length happening? Why shouldn't I just be able to step straight in? Because it's all there. The inner world is always all there. And what I can say to that is, well, it must be something to do with the external situation, like when you're on a formal meditation retreat, you're really you're really being taken care of and you really know that there's going to be no distractions at all. There's no one butting in, there's nothing going wrong, everything is safe, everything is organized, everything is to the plan, you've got your schedule, you don't have to do anything, you just have to go straight in. Just go along with it and you can get deep. Whereas turning in at home or just in your normal life, in a daily meditation practice for me, well, there's still going to be things that come up. There's still going to be possibilities for interruptions. And sometimes I really do set myself aside like a day or a half day to minimize those. And also generally in these last few months, I've been very much minimizing those and doing quite well at removing distractions. But you could never, I don't think you could ever replace the the strength like of a of a meditation retreat, of a more of a formal meditation retreat. There's always going to be something in that which is valuable and needed and can only be got from participating in it. And I mean, well, that's, when, I, when I say that, I'm thinking of a traditional meditation retreat, like a Vipassana meditation retreat. And if you ask me, well, what about a modern one or or an awareness intensive? Well, then, then it's very obvious because you can't do those alone in in any way. And well, in the in those you're doing you're working on different things. With an awareness intensive, you've got the component of the interpersonal. You're dealing with your relationships. So that's always going to be different. And then also there's a sort of third circumstance if we've got the meditation retreat and at home then there's also there's also strangely still being in the marketplace or in society or in daily life and yet also being in isolation and silence. And this is like This is like going about your normal day and actually doing all the normal activities and leaving the house, doing work or going shopping or going somewhere or whatever and yet also still saying to yourself, like, no, I'm in isolation. I'm in silence. Which means I don't talk to people. I don't go out of my way to start a conversation. I don't say hello. I don't keep my eyes up. I keep my eyes down. I don't look around. I don't smile at anyone. And if someone talks to me, well, I don't talk to them unless I really have to. And there's a difference there. There's a very strange difference. Because the daily life, you could just do alone. You just do by yourself. And if someone says hello, you say hi. And if you're walking around a place and there are other people, then you look and you see, who's around? Oh, that person looks friendly. Oh, look at that little doggy. And so on. So this whole thing of the inner world or turning in can still be done while functioning in some sort of way in everyday life. And it's a very strange division. You really have to explore that back and forth. And it's, a, it's almost like an inquiry into what, what is turning in? Like, what is the, where is the line? Where is the difference? And then there's the other side of all this, which is being in isolation and silence non-voluntarily. All that we've talked about up to now has been like a conscious decision of, okay, I am going to go into isolation in silence and silence in a particular way, in a particular environment, and I'll set up my parameters. But then there's the whole thing of just, just social isolation, or just the circumstances of life don't bring you into contact with people. Or whatever it is that's happening in the world, or in your culture, or in your community, in your local community, is meaning that you don't you you don't have a choice you sort of have to be isolated and we all have certain friends and a certain amount of when it's okay or how often we can see them or what sort of gatherings we have like the social like the social if we can say like socializing is a is an amount if we can put an amount on socializing then we all have an amount to contend with. We all have more of it or less of it. And we all have how much more of it we would like or wouldn't like or don't have. And sometimes being in isolation and silence can really show how much you want to be with others. And I've definitely felt that. And I guess that's, well, this is the mechanics of loneliness. And I've learned this about myself. I've learned that I'm extroverted. I'm very much extroverted. I get a lot of energy from meeting people. I have a lot of joy in speaking to them face to face. and yet so much of my life has been spent in isolation and silence and of course i have to remind you that the dichotomy of extroversion and introversion it's a it's only a tentative thing what i really should say to make it more clear is that i think i'm i think i'm slightly more extroverted than introverted and yet I've spent more time in isolation and silence, which is made for, well, a lot of loneliness. <laughs> but then conversely, well, look on the upside, I've found the inner treasures. I've found those personal things that are realizations unto myself. When I go into isolation and silence, I feel good. And it's a very natural kind of good. So often, going into isolation involves a kind of detox. It involves a kind of cleaning up of the diet and the junk food and the addictions and... Those sorts of things. Which, well, actually that can lead to withdrawals. When I go into isolation and silence, I have withdrawals. I might get a headache or an agitation or a frustration. But that's just one step of the process, because after that, it can feel incredibly good. And it's a very stable kind of good. It's a very natural kind of good, very clean, very pure, very relaxed. It's something that happens on its own accord at different times throughout the day, not something that is triggered by a food or a drink which is going into me. And I know, well, that's actually more like a path. That's the path of ecstasy. And I've walked that path. I've seen a little bit further down the way of where that goes. So that's a good answer to this question. What happens happens when I go into isolation and silence? I remember the path of ecstasy. And there's also this thing of silence as a word that has a world unto itself to be discovered. And that would mean that, well, you learn quickly enough that silence doesn't just mean not talking. It doesn't just mean not using words with your mouth and not saying hello to people. That's sort of the first step. That's the baby steps of silence. Because there's also silence of the mind. There's also silence of the environment. So let me expand on environment, because we can say that this environment is quiet. This is a silent environment. Or we can say that, well, actually, every environment has silence. It's just all the noise that makes it so hard to hear. <laughs> And that, well, that's a path. There's a depth there to go into. And when we go into isolation and silence, we set up an environment for ourselves which is quiet. So that it's easier for us to hear the silence. And that can be like a practice room. It can be like a sparring room. This is the silence gym where we can work out our silent muscle. And then those muscles get bigger, which means that when we go somewhere else, we can hear the silence and it's a bit more difficult. So a meditation retreat would be like doing bicep curls with half a kilogram. And then going to the center of New Delhi City, Would be like the five hundred kilogram deadlift <laughs> if we take the if we take the analogy of lifting weights to correlate with can you hear silence <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if my metaphors are too much of a stretch; they make perfect sense to me, no matter. When I go into isolation and silence, I find the cause of things which are very important. Like I understand the mechanics of them, and I can see much more clearly how they work. For example, happiness. It can be such that it's a bit confusing. Where happiness comes from. It's quite hard to connect the dots. And it's not as simple as, well, happiness is caused by this or that. I'm sure we've all fallen into that game before. What will make me happy? What makes me happy? Was it this that I did or that that I did? I feel happy when I do this or when I do that. But in meditation, I see a very different side of happiness, as an example in point, which is the point that it turns around inside me, the strings that are attached to it, the conditions and terms that are attached to it, the influences upon it. And when I wade through all that and it becomes more and more clear, it starts to happen. And it's a very mysterious thing because it's not exactly that I'm doing it on my own accord. It's not that I'm giving it to myself. It's more that I'm seeing how it works and then allowing those workings to have their way. Which would mean that happiness is something that you must know how can be allowed to happen. And I'm seeing a perfect segue between autonomy and submission here. This really is the, the fork in the road where the the two... Lines merge. Because can we say, it's all under your own accord to make yourself happy? It's only something that you can do that will make you happy? Or is something that's given to you the cause of your happiness? Is happiness only something that's coming in from somewhere else? And it's these sort of dichotomies that become clear when I meditate. They become more simple. And I can see how they relate to each other. So a good answer to what happens when I go into isolation and silence would be, I see how parts are connected and how they relate to each other. I see how complex processes unfold and these have a very practical use, a meaningful use as they apply to things such as happiness. When I go into isolation and silence I often feel like <laughs> I often feel like I don't want to talk I get so much juice out of it I don't want to come out of it I get stuck in it and I find so much I wonder what it would be like to come out of it There's there's sometimes a fear there's a there's a great Uh, I don't know if a fear is the right word, but a a sensitivity to my own vulnerability, which is painful when coming out of isolation and silence. Like, what happens when I come out of isolation and silence? Well, all the things that I've learnt somehow shift into a new way of being a new understanding and some things are lost but some things remain there's always things that remain there's always lessons that are carried over its incremental solid growth that's what meditation is and then I feel well very highly motivated very clear very calm within myself I feel very open. I feel trusting towards other people. I feel happy to see other people. I feel a great joy to listen to other people. It might have been that sometimes I go into isolation and silence to get away from the chatter. To get away from the constant blah, blah, blah. And then when I come out of that, well, somehow, all that sounds very different. And there is also a lot of blah, blah, blah in this world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's all just a matter of perspective. There is a lot of trash talk out there. It's very personal. And... I feel in some ways it's a fool's errand to try and explain it to others. And I've definitely in my time felt the futility of expressing what's found in isolation and silence. Or more generally in meditation. But if you can understand that as a game and know that in some ways it's possible, and then in some ways it is possible, and that is the game that we're playing, we're all playing, then that brings it back to me. It brings it back to my responsibility. I definitely don't feel so futile that I should just give up and not try at all. It's not impossible in the way that the word impossible is normally implied. Impossible usually implies that it's absolute. And yet impossibility is not an absolute in this sense. It's a relative term. Which means that we can say it's impossible to translate certain things and yet in another way we can say that it is possible to translate them so long as we understand that it's a translation. Almost like Translating between different languages. But it would be like a... Like not current... Languages. You'd have to choose... Maybe if you had like an ancient... Like Pancrit or Sanskrit. Translating into a language that's in the future 10,000 years. So not into English, but even even larger gap than that. Or even further back, you have a caveman, if we had a caveman language. Or a pictograph, sort of Egyptian language. Ancient I don't I mean, I don't know how old Egyptian society is. You might have to go further back than that. But between those two things, well you'd say that It's impossible to translate the two. It's impossible to understand, to have any correlation. But that's true. But in another way, you can. There is something. There's an essence that's passed on. Essence can be passed on in different forms. If essence is the sort of mystical, ethereal, smoky thing, and manifestation is the objects or the tangible and the real, then we're passing on essence via the tangible things. So you can say, are you getting the essence of it? rather than saying, Do you understand me? And I like that. I like saying that. That's a good thing to say. Because when I say, Do you get the essence of it? It can also imply, well, you haven't fully got it, but you've got something very important about it. You've got something very bad you when we when we say What should we say? It's like if you've got the essence of a book, there's a lot of things you haven't understood. But you've understood something that is very important. Almost more important than the details. Something that's beyond the details. And strangely enough, I think it's It's like a three-way street, like the more time I spend in the solid world, trying to bridge that with words, you know, that mystical world, well, the better I get at it. And then the more time I spend in that mystical world, well, the more I have the ability to come back and translate things better. And it feels very fresh. It feels very new. And that's something that's very recent that I have remembered many times. This is, this is something that I've forgotten and remembered very, very many times. Which is that when I go into isolation and silence, everything feels fresh, everything feels new. and how often things change becomes both more dramatic and more frequent to the point where every moment just feels new like what was what was i just a few minutes ago how was i just a, just a few minutes ago it seems totally different born again right now and again in a few moments time And it makes for a very rich life. It makes for a very rich collection of experiences. And I believe it also has a lot to do with perception. And, well, when I go into isolation and silence, I... Pay more attention to my perceptions. And I'm more respectful to what they're giving me, what they're showing me. My eyes, my smell, my sense of hearing. So things seem more vibrant. Things seem more colourful. And you can say, well, going into isolation, you can mean, well, it's, it's social isolation, but it's also sensory isolation. So it could be that you're actually keeping your eyes closed a lot, or you're looking down a lot, which actually heightens the senses. It sharpens the senses. So I definitely feel that it's an important part of me to be in silence and isolation and I feel it's something I'll keep doing and maybe I'm still yet to do my deepest step into that who knows and I always have had it in the back of my mind that I'd do something quite big something like a a whole month in isolation or even longer. And, well, I shouldn't speculate too much about the future. So, let's just keep it with something simple. And let's just enjoy... The silence and the isolation that we have right now